0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Friday, April the 8th, as the light of Christ continues to shine on us from Matthew 26. And Jesus prays, and this is the culmination of Holy Week, He prays in the garden, betrayed by Judas and arrested. And this, I mean, this brings us to next week, which will be Holy Thursday and Good Friday. We've heard this many times. And it's its interesting to me as I look at it again, how Jesus addresses Peter, how he addresses Judas and the crowds when he is being arrested. It's really fascinating to take a step back because often I just hear it and think, well, I've gone through that before. But today we get to look at it again. So as we look at this, uh, we see, as it tells us in Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus or fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray the Holy Spirit is with us today. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. LHFmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Collinsville, Illinois. Pastor Adel, a blessed Lent and welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, Pastor, um, tell us what's happening for you, your family, and as we are right on on the edge of Holy Week, the work of the saints at Good Shepherd.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, I mean, like everyone, we're in this, we're winding down Lent, and so we've had midweek Lenten services this whole time, and, and at least for our midweek, we've been looking at different characters that, uh, come into the passion story. Like, I mean, one of them we talked about was, uh, Judith. Another one we talked about was Pontius Pilate. Another one was Malchus, who actually is in our reading today, although not named Matthew, but, but he, he's in the reading today. So it's been kind of interesting. Focusing on those different, different, uh, characters, seeing how they come into the story and what they, how we work. And so as you look at that, how about your family? How are they doing? They do well. Do well. We, uh, i I teach in the seventh grade and what I do throughout the seventh grade years, we read through the Bible. Not, not every book, not every chapter, but we, we hit definitely the highlights and it, it lined up rather well this year that we've been reading through the gospel and we've, we've been going through the gospel of Matthew. And, uh, yesterday we, we wrapped up, uh, last week we went through the passion yesterday, we wrapped up with, um, Matthew 28. And so it, it actually does pretty
0: well with what we're going through. Absolutely. So this gets me, um. This gets me excited to dig in, so let's uh yeah. let's begin our time in prayer. Uh, can you lead us in prayer?
1: Yeah. let us pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for bringing us here this morning to read your word as we hear it, give us eyes, ears to hear. we would understand your word, and especially uh, what it tells you tells us about your Son and to be our Savior. In His name, we pray.
0: Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text as we are in passion, the Passion account, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, I want to begin before we actually read our, our, our verses here this morning, a short little paragraph that Martin Luther wrote on how to meditate on the passion of Christ. And I want to get your thoughts about the importance of, of Holy Week, which comes to us next week, um, Palm Sunday, throughout the week to Holy or Monday, Thursday, Good Friday into Easter about, you know, maybe what a reflection on Martin Luther says, but also for yourself, why Holy Week is important for us as Christians. So this is what Martin Luther says, the right way to think about Christ's passion. And he says, when we meditate on the passion of Christ, the right way, we see Christ and are terrified at the sight our conscience sinks in despair. The feeling of terror needs to happen so that we fully realize how great the wrath of God is against sin and sinners. We understand this when we see how God sets sinners free only because of His dearly beloved Son, His only Son, paid such a costly ransom for us. As Isaiah 53, 8 says, He was stricken for the transgressions of my people. And so, Pastor, as you prepare for Holy Week and encourage your your, your people, um, tell us about why Holy Week is important and why to think about it correctly is very important as we look toward the death and resurrection of Christ.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think Martin Luther, that uh, on the, the there he is, I mean, he, he, you used the word terror. Right? I think that's a good one, but, but certainly fear. I mean, mm. this, this is the word that we use, kind of get fear, And we see, especially in our reading today, that th- th- this is a fear that Christ himself joins us. Mm. That he asks and, and, and then prays the same thing that he taught us to pray. Uh, Thy will be done is it, something that he didn't just tell us. Uh, but but does his own thing. But rather, it's something that he himself goes through, and the the, the fear comes also in, in the fact that he himself looks at, he knows what's going to happen, and yet he knows that it, it's, a, it's going to be a terrible experience, it's going to be a betrayal, persecution, and suffering and death, and yet he goes through it, knowing what is the end. the the resurrection and and what that will gain not just for him but for all of us So he goes through it we on this side uh have to look at it in the sphere of also because he he says to us if anyone wants to follow me let him pick up his cross and follow me that there is a way that we are forced to learn this. We, we learn it when we read the scriptures and especially when we go through Holy Week. Uh, but we learn it as, as we walk through our own lives as well. And as to as why this week is important, I always kind of like to point out that obviously, Good Friday and Easter Sunday are the high points of the church year. There are other holidays that we, we might like better because we like the Christmas songs or something like this. But uh, even what christmas is pointing for he he takes on flesh so that so that he can undergo what he undergoes good friday and then being raised on easter sunday again and so th- this makes holy week and especially the the passion of our lord kind of the axis of history that that everything revolves around this if this doesn't happen our entire history, what we are, where we are with God is completely different. Mm. Uh, everything kind of rotates around this, like, like a globe rotating around an axis, uh, all of time rotates around this and leads to it or from it in some fashion. I like how you said that because it does
0: this, the passion account is not something you look at, like you said. You don't look at it with um, happiness. We do look at it with hope. We do look at it with hope, but not happiness, the way we think of happiness or joy, the way we typically think of joy. Um, but it is with joy that Jesus did this. And and that that gives us hope. And if without it, there is no hope. And that's very, Correct. very humbling because it's not really fun to look at (laughs) or experience. And I like how you pulled us back too, because Martin Luther, if you just ended with that paragraph with, by the way, Martin Luther does not end with that paragraph. Um, Correct. (laughs) But he definitely brings us to the forefront of good Friday brings us hope, but that hope comes in the terror and the fear of such a cross that he's willing to take for us. And so it's a back and not back and forth, but it is definitely um, we need to go through it and our Lord leads us through it and, and brings us to that hope we have in his resurrection as well. So, so let's hear those words today, pastor. Um, we are in Matthew 26 and I encourage you, our listeners, Matthew 26, beginning of verse 36, that I'll be going through all the way through 56. So it's a little bit longer, but to reflect upon this and to do what Martin Luther says, let's look at this in the right way. And to add to it with pastor Adel, has pointed us to is the hope that we have because this event did happen in history for you. Beginning verse 36, we are reading from the English Standard Version. We hear the word of God. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee, the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, so you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs and from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do you do what you came to do? Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Behold, one of them who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place. The scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Here is our, our word this morning from our Lord. And pastor, how do you want to begin as we reflect on this small part of the passion?
1: Yeah, I, I think one thing that we point out is just a few verses before which I uh-huh. where uh, Peter speaks up it, it, along with the 12 uh, but Peter essentially says that even if all are made to stumble because of you I will never be able I will never be made to stumble and then he'll say even if I have to die with you I will not deny you now this, this is something that's going to play in into this reading as well as later on Chapter twenty six. When you when you look, especially at Peter's action, one kind of the statement that e- even if all these other guys, well, not me, which which is a massive thing, I love you more than all these guys, which combines nicely with John chapter twenty one, that <laughs> later on after the yeah. resurrection, but but it does uh, it does play into how he responds here in, the, in the verses that we have today, as well as with his, his denial later on in chapter three. So I just wanted to point that out. Before we
0: and it's important
1: because this Gethsemane
0: part is very, it's a very important part of the whole passion narrative, the account, because it shows us a Jesus that we don't you should talk about, you have in other gospels where it talks about he was so nervous, it was like he was sweating blood. Um, You hear him pray, almost a prayer, you're like, wait, Jesus is like not wanting to do this? Or what was that? You know, because we, we see in Hebrews with joy, he went to the cross, so, you know, it's like, well, wait a second, that doesn't sound too joyful to me. Um, but well, we, Yeah, I mean, you know,
1: we could chat about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just a lot of things come up and then we see the actual betrayal And how Jesus speaks to Judas is absolutely fascinating um, for us to be able to capture. So um, I think we should just go a few verses at a time. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So uh, give us some context here. He's, he's, he's troubled and, and he's, yeah. you know, to Gethsemane is,
1: later in the evening, they, they've just celebrated the Passover. I mean, this, this, I think might explain some of the disciples sleeping, it, right? They just had a big meal. <laughs> it's after a large meal, they go over to the Mount of Olives, the garden of Gethsemane, it's dark, it's late at night and. I assume the disciples, like all of us, after a huge meal, are feeling a little sleepy. Uh, Jesus, for his part, because he knows what is coming, is clearly not tired. He he knows what is coming, and furthermore, he he knows that it is not going to be easy, and it's not going to be joyful. I don't know. (laughs) Like you you mentioned that passage uh, from Hebrews, which is Hebrews seven. Or excuse me, Hebrews twelve, mm-hmm. for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't think that means that it's joyful to go through. He knows on the other side what he gains and, and what is going to be the outcome is joyful. But clearly here you don't see him. I mean, it, it talks about him being sorrowful, deeply distressed. That, that to me that doesn't sound like he's happy and this is just easy. He's just got to walk through it. No, this is, I, I think that one of the hymns has is cheerful, he is suffering. I don't actually know that that's, that's quite on. It, it. It doesn't sound that way. He doesn't sound cheerful here, and he doesn't sound cheerful at all throughout the trial and stuff like that. Like I said, he knows that there's joy at the end, but he also knows that he has to drink this cup, this cup of suffering and betrayal and death and that the father will rescue him but the father will rescue him through and from death not around it and this is this is one of the things that when you were back in chapter 16 and they they confessed christ and he says you know this means that i'm going to go to jerusalem be betrayed crucified and i'll rise again three days later and peter says no that, that is not how this works. And clearly, uh, in chapter 26, he's still thinking that way. That, that's not how this is going to go down. But uh, Jesus knows the truth. And as, as we were saying earlier, uh, he also doesn't ask us to do stuff that he hasn't undergone himself. Mm. So we see him praying the same way he taught us and the disciples to pray. And he didn't just tell the disciples, listen, you guys have to pick up your cross and go to it. Meanwhile, I'm going to stand over here. No, you he should to pick up your cross and follow me. And so we are going to see him go through all of this over, over the rest of this chapter and the next chapter. And it's interesting to
0: me how, so he has this unique inner circle with Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And how you say it? The inner circle is not being real trustworthy. As we go through the passion account, um,
1: Um, say it again. No, you're right. You're right. They, (laughs) they, they, they fail kind of at every step along the way in, in a variety of ways. Right. Right. And so that
0: it definitely is something as we look to the authority of scripture and the reliability of scripture, that typically when someone writes something, they uplift themselves in ways that is a little bit unrealistic. But here, Matthew and others are definitely not, they're not throwing Peter under the bus per se, but they're showing the, you know, the fallibility of these individuals because he, Correct. I mean, Jesus says, sit here and go over here and, and pray and take He takes them with him. He's sorrowful. He's being very honest with them. He says, you know, I'm sorrowful, um, remain here and watch with me, you know? Um, and that's something that very much. So he's there with him. um, and, and, and they, and they fail. And so it's just a reminder to us that if we're going to look to Peter and James and John and his others for getting everything right, that is just blown away in the passion narrative. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no hope for us. And the only hope is in Christ when you go through this. And that's what I love about, especially how Matthew lays this out. There's no, there's no trying to hide the fallenness of the human, human people that are with him.
1: So any, any thoughts before no. we move on? Jesus is the is the only one who actually does the Father's will, even as it means his own suffering and death. I think, as you mentioned too, mentioned too that uh, he brings with him Peter and James and John, which we've seen that three before. And uh, the last time we saw them, it was kind of the complete opposite of this situation. You remember then it was the Mount of Transfiguration. Ah, uh, yep. And there you have. Uh, Jesus glowing with divine daytime. He's glowing with divine glory. You have Moses and Elijah, and then you have the Father's voice from heaven, confirming, "This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him." Here you have those same three brought with Jesus, this time to a different mountain, but everything's kind of reversed. Instead of it being light out and Jesus glowing, here it's completely dark, and Jesus is sorrowful. And deeply distressed, and there you had the other prophets. Here you don't have any other prophets. There you had the, the Father speaking from heaven, and here there is no answer from heaven. There's nothing. Good point. And wow. it's just kind of a, a complete reversal. And, and also, too, I mean, like you said, the, the disciples are just not into this the way that they were into that. Yeah, they're they're definitely not saying
0: at the end of this, 'tis good to be here. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: you know, there there's yeah. none of that. <laughs> no, so so it's 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 setting the stage. So well, we have a lot of verses to go through. So let's keep plowing through verses thirty-nine and we'll go through forty-three. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, "My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will." And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass until unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. I'm going to, I'm going to stop there for now. So I think the key for me, the key in this section is the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So what are your thoughts on those verses?
1: Well, like we were saying with those verses before, Peter and all the other disciples, we're with you. We're with you all the way. We're never going to leave you. We're never going to deny you. So I think that's kind of what he means when you guys said you were willing and, and, and if you were to even ask them, like, are you with me? Are you going to deny me? I think they'd all say, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're with, you. We're with you. Mm-hmm. I was just, I'm a little, like we said, it was a, a big meal. I'm a little nappy, but no, we're with you. We're with you. And he, he just pointed out, well, that's not actually true. We're, we're, when the rubber hits the road, uh, your pledge is weak. And I, I'm telling you guys what to do. Watch. Pray unless you enter into temptation, and yet every time I come back, you're sleep yeah. you're not ready you're clearly not praying <laughs> and i'm I'm
0: sympathetic with this because not only you know if you have a little wine and you have a little or a lot of food and so forth, it's not exactly time to mm-hmm. go run a marathon. I mean this is not no. how this works, so I'm very sympathetic, let alone when I'm about to go pray, let's just say I'm anywhere near a comfortable position couch floor, anything. You're like, go, go pray and relax. Well, guarantee I'm going to fall asleep at least for five minutes. It's just how it's going to be. So I definitely am Uh not as judgmental of the disciples um, as I used to be, but Jesus uses this as a very clear opportunity to speak about ourselves in relation to him. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Why is, why is that important? I think that's a very important insertion in the passion narrative, as we look at everything, any thoughts
1: on that? Well, I mean, it, it, it goes perfectly with Romans seven type language mm. where he knows what he wants to do and yet he doesn't end up doing it. So yeah, I mean, this, this, this is not the only, only time that this kind of thing is talked about in scripture, just pointing out our fallibility, pointing out our weakness and I guess in some fashion, the entire reason we need a savior. It's because it's in our flesh, isn't we? And even when we think we want to do the right thing, we end up often not.
0: One thing that that struck me from what you said prior is we, you know, the old bracelets that you and I had when we were in college was the, you know, what would Jesus do? And we can, we can easily throw that under the bus and say, that's not right. It's about what Jesus did do, blah, blah, blah. And it's true that that part is exactly true. But here, I think we do see an example of how we follow Jesus's lead when it comes to prayer, because he prays, Lord, take this from me, but your will be done, basically. And he does it twice. And he, about a minute left before our break. Any thoughts on, on that and the importance for us to pray in the same way?
1: No, you're exactly right. I mean, he, he says that he tells them there are temptations coming. We need to be on guard. And furthermore, we need help. Mm -hmm. I mean, this this is, and he taught us to pray this way too, right? In the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is exactly as I said, he's praying that that exact kind of prayer self as he is about to undergo temptation and suffering and trial, and although the disciples are weak here, certainly you assume that when they get into the the book of Acts and they're faced with these kind of things, that they've learned to pray this way too.
0: Right now, I want to talk more as we continue to plow through the Passion narrative, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew 26 with Pastor Scott Adel, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew 26 with Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Collinsville, Illinois. Now, Pastor, we have gotten through this portion where, you know, this is something that, I mean, I knew this, but it's always interesting to see it again, is that Jesus prays twice and he prays basically the same prayer that this cup, um, this drink is the cup of wrath And so Lord, take this from me because Jesus is both God and man and who in their right mind wants to go through pain intentionally. I know I don't. And Jesus affirms that as well, but ends with your will be done. So any, any last thoughts so far on his prayer prayers that he's had with God, the father to this point or anything else in those first few verses?
1: Uh, like you say, he actually actually does say that he he, he praises them three times. He he knows this is not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. And like I said earlier, I don't know that it, he does it cheerfully. Uh, he, he does know that there is joy at the end, but th- this is not easy, even for our Lord, who who is a man, and he, he's going to feel the stripes and the nails in his own flesh. Which you, which you can't take away by saying, well, yeah, yeah, he was also God too. But that's not how it comes across. No. It comes across as actual torture, actual pain, actual crucifixion, and that, uh, yes, he is God, but he, he suffers in the flesh. And there's no way around that.
0: And this is why um, it's very... Yeah, I, I like how he said that because there could be an argument that I've never heard, mainly because I guess I've always around people who affirm what scripture says but there could be an argument to say well he didn't really feel pain because you know he's not really fully man but that's very clear there's no way he would have got through this let alone just his prayer if you were to say no he didn't feel stress like us he didn't feel pain like us or anything like yeah. that it's very very
1: clear it, his humanity right and he, that kind of argument makes nonsense in the scriptures now they did have those kind of arguments in the first few hundred years of the church True, yeah, uh, but you can't make that argument and be faithful to the text.
0: So, as we look at this, we'll we'll continue on. Um, so they're sleeping, and that, like I said, that's understandable with all the situations. You've definitely laid that out, but it's clear that if Jesus were to say, "I'm going to leave to church to these guys, and they're going to do well on their own," well, that's they can't even stay up for prayer time. So this is not going to go well. So let's start in verse. Continue on verse forty-four. So leaving them again, he went away and prayer, prayed for a third time saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. So it happened a third time. So what all happened in these verses?
1: Well, one of the things that have been lined up kind of in earlier chapters was the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees don't like him. They want him arrested, and furthermore, they want him dead. The problem is that usually when they see him, he's in the temple court preaching and teaching in front of a large crowd, and the crowd likes him. So eventually it comes to the point where they say, we have to get at him. At a time when there aren't crowds around, and this is kind of when when Judas's thing enters the story, and he says, "I can get you to him when there when there's no crowd. I know I know where he goes. I know I know the schedule, so I can do that." And they make a deal with him to do that. And as we've read in, in the uh, during the Last Supper, right, Judas eats with them. And then he leaves and he's going to tell these guys it's about time. He he is going to be alone. Get get, get the soldiers, get the policemen, let's go get him. And Jesus is over there praying and uh, it took them however long, you know, that that amount of time of him praying was, uh, took them that long to get the guards together. And and now they've arrived.
0: It's interesting to me too, that yesterday, as we studied with Pastor Dieter Ding, is that Judas, because we can have this understanding that, that, that the leaders came to Judas and said, hey, here's 30 pieces of silver. Where's Jesus? But it actually says, is he, is Judas goes to the chief priest and says, hey, what will you give me if I deliver over Jesus? And that really changes it. It doesn't change the perspective of his sinfulness, but it definitely shows the intentionality of the whole thing Mm -hmm. and and this shows once again if we're gonna look to these guys to do it on their own this is what you're gonna get this is what you're gonna get yeah so anything else on those um verses 44 to 46 i don't think so. (laughs) i did find it funny in verse 45 sleep and take your rest later basically saying if you want to take a nap give me a few hours and you'll be fine but right now it's going yep. to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go down and it's going to go down yeah. right now. See, it's happening it, now. there is yep. a betrayer and you can just imagine this moment, um, much like when you watch the passion of the Christ movie that you see Judas there with the, with the, the soldiers and the, the fire and there he arrives. And it's obvious that this is not going to be a happy reunion by any stretch. So it, the uh-huh. anticipation is there for sure. Anything else that you want to highlight with Gethsemane?
1: Well,, like you said, I, I think it does catch, despite Jesus telling them multiple times exactly what is going to be, go, what is going to happen, you do kind of get the idea that they're taken by surprise. I mean, they were napping they they, have, they they weren't even looking out or guarding in any way. Jesus is the one that tells them there's people here, and they're like, what? Now now I'm going to be betrayed. what <laughs> they're, they're, They seem surprised well,. Uh... They're going to be surprised. And here
0: is, I guess you say, the rest of the story. Verse 47 will go through 50. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So Judas comes. And if you don't know the backstory, it looks like a relatively, how do you say it? Happy reunion. But what what was going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, this is just the nature of the depth of judas's betrayal and why, obviously no one needs to anymore right right uh because as you said earlier it was premeditated he does it for money and and even even when he goes he covers it with uh like highest action right greetings rabbi and then he mm-hmm. kisses him which is obviously something that you do to someone who you're very close and friendly, whom you love, right? So he he covers over what he's actually doing, which is betraying the Son of Man into people who he knows is going to arrest him and and maybe even killing. I mean, we don't know exactly how much Judas knew, but he he knows what he's doing and he's he's covering it over with kind of pious, friendly, loving actions, which of course just, undo everything about what they're supposed to be it's the complete opposite of what a kiss and a greeting is supposed to be and, and judith acts this way and it
0: really does you have throughout the new testament the epistle specific it talks about the kiss of peace you know i greet each other with the kiss mm-hmm. of peace here it might look like that but it really is the kiss of death like, i never really thought yeah. about one this is probably where that comes from the kiss of death is truly there. Um, I did want to ask this. Jesus is the, the, how you say it? He's the quintessential non-anxious leader. Okay, this is what we talk about in modern, modern leadership's uh, uh, books and so yeah. forth, is that he kissed him. Jesus knows full well his intentions. He knows his thoughts. He knows his heart. And what does Jesus call him? Verse 50. Why is it important that we see this? And this is one, I've seen it. I've thought about it but never really to this depth where Jesus, what does Jesus call Judas at that time in this struggle and why is that important?
1: He calls him friends, which which shows, I mean, on, on his side that uh, he doesn't hate Judas and he doesn't want bad things for Judas. He does say bad things are going to happen. It'd be better for you if you weren't born. Whoever's going to hand me over. But, Judas doesn't do it because Jesus hated him and mistreated him. And, and that finally, Judas is getting the upper hand. I'll show you. That's not the way that, that Jesus is ever described acting with his disciples. In, instead, he's always described as acting uh, lovingly and, and friendly. And, and this, this, this is still how he responds to Jesus. Friend, why have you come?
0: Do what you came to do and that's the other part it wasn't even like uh hey friend what's going on it's like yeah you know do what you're going to do you know and that's yeah. very it makes you wonder what well, we do here a little bit later obviously with judas and how he does respond to this which has to be he's been you know killed with killed with kindness if i can say it that way he's been He's been destroyed by the law. He's been destroyed by understanding how he has failed in a depth that I don't think anybody can, I can never fully understand. But Jesus gives those words of grace, friend, do what you're going to do, um, even in the midst of all of that. So any anything else on 47 through 50? No, yeah, keep going. All right, let's do this. 51 through 54. And behold, one of those who are who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? So this is an account that is, I think, very visual for people, um, that this is not going to be good from other accounts. Uh, ooh, let's see here. Is it Peter? Is the one who cut off the ear? Correct. Okay. Yeah. What I found interesting, and this isn't overly theological, but in other accounts, you know, Jesus heals this guy's ear, but this one he doesn't which I found was interesting. I, I guess I probably always inserted that into the text. Um, and felt, no, I think it's, in Luke, it's either in Luke or John. I think it's in John because every year, and I have to admit this, yeah. full disclosure, and I, I did bring this up yesterday, is that when I go through the passion narrative, it's almost explicitly on Good Friday, John. And we right. don't have a, a passion Sunday, which you could probably use Matthew or mm-hmm. Luke in that count. So I'm, a, you know, this yeah. has been really good for me because I'm so, I us go back, nac, back naturally to John. Um, what, what does your church do? Do you guys have a, um, a tradition? We do
1: have Sunday, So yeah, we'll read from this tomorrow.
0: Gotcha. See, so there you go. And so, um, yeah, so I'm a little bit out of touch with Matthew in this and it's not a huge deal, but it just isn't there. And I thought, oh, I was going to read it now and it wasn't there. But then Jesus responds to Peter as we understand it. And what does he tell him? Well you're in this place.
1: Put <laughs> Put it away. I I think too, this this just goes to show right earlier on we talked about Peter saying, Listen, I love you. I'm not gonna deny you, even if everyone else does, I won't. And I think you do see that play out here, but it's also played out with this kind of misunderstanding that Peter has had for a long time, that that when Jesus tells him, listen, I am going to go to Jerusalem, I will be betrayed, I will be crucified, and then I will rise three days later, Peter in chapter 16 just says, no, that's not the way it works. And then when when it comes to the point of him being betrayed and arrested and led to be crucified, Peter still acts out of this mindset of no, We're going to fight. And it also shows his boldness, but also his rashness. I mean, if you're surrounded by soldiers and police officers and you draw a gun, you're an idiot. You're going to lose it. And so, I mean, there's just Peter's action is kind of on its face, absurd, (laughs) and in some fashion, suicidal. But I think there's also Peter is enough Of a bold, just man, to be like, no, if we're going to do this, I'm going to go down fighting. I don't care if if I lose, but you're you're not taking me without me doing this. And I think this kind of comes across too, which, as I said, just shows how he's misunderstood this whole thing about Jesus going as a sacrificial lamb. Like this is what he was born for. And Peter just completely being at odds with that and saying, no, it's not going to end like this. And so, I mean, there's, there's that kind of going through it. There's also just his ineptness of the guy sitting in front of him. Now, maybe the guy, Doc, who knows? Uh, (laughs) But he swings a sword and he cuts off the guy's ear, which clearly Peter's not that good a swordsman. I mean, <laughs> I mean, one one of the ways you can show that Jesus is not raising an army is these guys are completely inept at using their weapon. Mm. He doesn't even he doesn't even kill him, and furthermore, just kind of on a on a theological level, what Peter did actually took away the one part that the guy needs in order to become a disciple. Right? He's removed, yeah. <laughs> removed the guy's ears. This is the only thing he needs in order to hear the word. In order to hear the gospel, he needs that ear. So Jesus will, uh, as you say, not in Matthew, but Jesus does heal the man. But so all these things that point out, just I mean, Jesus even says, like, kind of, what are you doing? Like, m- my father has legions of angels, and they're a lot better at fighting than <laughs> you. And I-, I could put a stop to it now that way if I wanted. But I've told you before, that's not how this is going to go down.
0: And the 12 legions, I mean, there's a lot of, you could do a lot of, uh, you know, guesstimates on numbers, but we're talking a legion was thousands of soldiers. And so he's just given a very clear picture that it's not just one, it's 12, which could be, you know, up to 70,000, 72,000 mm-hmm. soldiers. So don't, don't act like I can't take care of myself. Let, a, let alone the world, let alone you, Peter. Secondly, Correct. clearly you're not good at this and you can't even stay yeah. awake. You know, I think one, one, one thing I read on this kind of said, you know what? You know what? I don't, I don't need you. I get 72,000 angels waiting for me. Plus the last time I really thought you could do something, which is, I mean, it's, this is way oversimplifying it, but he says you, you sank into the water. So let's just, let's just move that aside, you know, let alone, I know what you're going to do right after this. So just let me do this. This is in my hands, yep. not yours. And, th- and then he uses an important word: that scriptures be fulfilled. Those are very important words, and we look through Matthew and all the Gospels. Um, What is he saying when he talks about the fulfillment of scripture and the, and the passion narrative?
1: Right, he's saying not only has he told them, but also the Old Testament tells them. Uh, I mean, and especially when you get to Good Friday, you, you think of Isaiah fifty-two and fifty-three that this is what the servant of God has to do. You, you can't get to, by his stripes we are healed, unless he actually gets the stripes. Mm. Right? So uh, Jesus is just saying, not, not only have you been not listening to me keenly, but you've been listening to the scriptures wrong if you think that it can't go down this way. And all that to talk about, me going to my cross and you going to your cross. If you think those are all just metaphors, you're wrong. I'm actually going to go to a real physical cross. That's how this is going to happen.
0: And so this is, you know, this goes into, you know, Christ did not come to take away the law, but to fulfill the law. And we see that fulfillment that happens on the cross by Jesus to save us, um, save us from our sins, but also from us breaking that law. And, well, that just kind of keeps happening in these verses today. Yeah. So any, any other thoughts on the betrayal to this point?
1: Well, it also goes in line with uh, just Jesus' idea of what the Christ is and what he has to do. It's just not in line with what they're thinking, but it's clearly not even in line with what they want they 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 were in it like we were talking earlier about the Mount of Transfiguration they were in it when it was glorious and looked awesome and yet when it comes here to uh, a savior who's going to be betrayed and is going to be mocked and is going to be mistreated I mean I think we all kind of recoil and say well why would we want that and, and, and pretty much if that's what it means, why would we want to follow that? If it means weakness and mockery and persecution and even death, why are we in this again? What, <laughs> what? what, did, what did we sign up for? And uh, you, you see this kind of playing out in real time in Peter when he says, not that way, not, not, not that way.
0: And this is why when Luther says, you know, we meditate upon this, our consciences sig- sinks, our conscience sinks in despair, not only yeah. the love that he has to go through this, but also why would you go through that? I would never go through that. You know, you can almost yeah. feel the sympathy pains when you, when you hear the words that are said to him and the, and the, the, the nails are in his wrists and his feet is that you almost can feel it. Not that you literally can, but just. Knowing enough is it brings you to your knees, no doubt about it.
1: And like 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 we were talking earlier, I mean, th- this just places us beside Peter and the rest. When we see that and we think, nope, not like that. but I mean, th- this is exactly what they were thinking. No, we don't want that. And Jesus says, but th- this is how it must happen. Like, uh. uh.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm going to use this example, too, because last Sunday we had uh, in Luke chapter 20, the parable of the wicked tenants. Yep. And when he gets done with the parable, you know, he says, what's going to happen? And and these, they're like, well, he's coming to destroy the tenants and the Pharisees and they're the leaders, chief elders are like, surely not. Because they realize they realize that, wait, you're talking about me you're talking about me i don't like that whatsoever and and that's where the same thing here is that wait wait a second you're talking about my sin that put jesus in this position you're talking about my brokenness is going to make jesus broken i mean this is like you said quite terrifying which is why we don't end on verse 54 you don't end with the betrayal and arrest of jesus is that there's always more to the story but we do have to Make sure we go through it in order for us to fully understand it as well. So anything else before we get to the last two
1: verses? I think the key there is just what you said throughout the whole passage. It has to be gone through. Can't go around it. And when, when Jesus had prayed, if there's some other way, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. I mean, this is obviously the Father's the storm. You are going to go through it not around it, not some other path. I mean, the psalms also talk this way when <laughs> we go through the valley of the shadow of death, and not around it, uh, which we don't like the sound of. Nevertheless, true. It reminds me of, I mean, go ahead. Oh, oh, the only way any of us is going to be resurrected is if we actually die. Right. 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 <laughs>
0: and that's yeah what uh basically um it reminds me of that going on a bear hunt you know can't go over it can't go around it have to go through it that's our life in christ getting crushed um dead in baptism that if christ has not returned before we die um and we will rise and that's from dust from dust you came into dust you shall return and from dust you shall rise is what the hope is as we read these words today. So let's read our last two verses. We have about four minutes left in our time. Verse 55. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this take place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So now this was fascinating to me is that now he's speaking to the crowds and it always makes me wonder a little bit, you know, who, who was in these crowds? Of course, we don't know. You have the Romans, you have the disciples. Other than that, I don't think we're really quite sure who was there. Sure. Um, yeah. But what was the message that he is telling them? It's kind of the last before he actually gets taken away. This is his last words. Well, I
1: think one of the things going on is he Listen, have you come out as against the Robert Wright? Have you come out as against someone who worked in the darkness and works kind of behind closed doors and then reaches out to harm and hurt people? That's not how I've been operating. I I haven't been operating a conspiracy theory and setting up these elaborate plans at night and dark to finally uh, get my way into reconciliation bring vengeance on someone rather you saw me doing my teaching openly i i was upfront about who i was and about this is how the kingdom of heaven worked and when i was doing things out in the open you didn't seize me you didn't arrest me you didn't do anything like that however it does seem that someone else has been acting like a robber It does seem like someone else has been working behind closed doors, and in darkness with these secret conspiracies. And this is kind of the proof. You come to take me in the middle of the night when I'm praying. I'm not, I'm not making evil plans. <laughs> I'm praying. And yet you, you approach me. And then he just says, but all this is done, that the scriptures might be. And, uh even this, and you see this throughout all of the passion, that God, uses kind of everything to work his plan obviously he used the goodness and the obedience of Christ to accomplish his plan but he also uses the sinfulness and the evilness of the other people to accomplish his plan but, that sin is not going to get in the way of God's plan rather he's going to utilize it to fulfill his plan and all of this will be in fulfillment of the scriptures in the last verse the last section of the last verse then all the
0: disciples left him and fled and in the previous section they say something else what did they say before and what actually happened <laughs>
1: I mean uh, peter said even if i have to die with you i won't deny you and so said all the disciples and then yeah you're you're here well 20 verses later or whatever and they uh They all persect him in blood, right? When it comes down to it, how many of us want to be arrested and taken into custody by a bunch of soldiers who are maybe a little rougher than they need to be? I mean, when it comes face to face, uh, and it's dark out, and it's a garden, and there's a bunch of trees to hide behind, (laughs) Uh, they all succumb to the fear and uh, thinking they can escape. And this is why, as you said at the very beginning,
0: that there's a lot of terror that comes in this passion account. But like I use the word fear for the fear we have is of humankind, mankind, others. But what does it say? We should fear and love God, you know, that we should fear and love God so that we do not. Um, We should fear and love God. And, And that's a reminder here that the fear and love is to be of God, not of people which is very difficult, which is why thanks be to God for the Holy Spirit and his promise to be with us. Pastor, we have about, we have less than a minute left. How would you summarize our text and encourage our listeners?
1: Well, I think we got to summarize it as what, what Jesus just said here. All of this is being done so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. That as bad as it is and as bad as the sinfulness of man is, nevertheless, the goodness, the obedience, of Christ, the Father, follow His Father's will. All of these things are going to work together to accomplish our salvation.
0: Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Matthew 26. Pastor Adel, have a wonderful Holy Week and thank you for bringing us his gifts. You as well. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.